and welcome to Esbar of Bookish Podcast. I'm Elle. And I'm Reggie. And today we are once again host only podcast. This time we're going to try something new and we're just going to have a chat about what we've been watching, reading, listening to, um, basically the media we've been consuming. So Reggie, what have you been checking out recently? Um, So recently, a couple of things and as probably it's not surprising it's all horror related because that is me um on shutter this past week the found footage phenomenon documentary about found footage films came out and so i've been i had watched that and for the newer listeners and also probably people don't know me very well i'm obsessed with found footage (laughs) i think it is a very fun and challenging medium to get correct yeah so it was a great um it was just a great documentary talking to filmmakers who have experienced different types of media in terms of how technology has evolved and the way technology's evolution has informed found footage as we create more and more of it um A couple of things they were talking about on there that I found interesting. Um, One that I really liked, actually, was they interviewed the um, producer-director of Megan is Missing, which was trending on TikTok, um, Michael Goy. And I re-watched the movie, actually, because I was trying to remember why people seem to not like it. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, it still hits me incredibly hard. Because when Megan is Missing, the time frame in which it came out was um, in like 2007 when video calls were starting to be a thing. And then we had that, um, oh my God, that roulette, chat roulette. Yeah. And things like that. And I was about the same age as Megan at the time. So I think, and this is true for you as well, Elle, I think as, um, as a femme during that time it's kind of hits a lot harder the impact of the internet on a young femme person or even like trans someone who's looking for kind of an acceptance that they're not finding in their everyday life so even though the movie itself might be boring it's just because you don't necessarily have that connection to the source material which i found he explored that quite a bit in the documentary and i found that very interesting and in that case, I would say he was very successful in his story, which was war- the warning of not knowing who you're talking to online and just being cautious. And also parents, where are your children? Yeah. And you know. if you are a little bit younger and don't necessarily remember like the sort of that era, there was a lot of fear around from our parents around the Internet, around what information you're giving out Um and it hadn't quite crossed into schools fully about what the internet could do and how useful it could be in certain aspects. Um, and yeah, thinking back, I think we all kind of la- maybe laughed off what our parents were saying sometimes, but you then started getting these horror stories. Um, I know particularly a few friends of mine had parents who were very overbearing about things like viruses and stuff in a way that was kind of them not understanding how viruses happened whereas Mm -hmm. we had the knowledge 
of the in, we had the knowledge that our parents didn't it wasn't like today where a parent could quite easily set a parental control on something we very much picked it up much quicker than they did and I can see why they were maybe a bit scared of it because again these horror stories I think that was around the time or not long after that things like to catch a predator start coming out in the states I think it was before that actually yeah and so the main thing thing that if your parents are boomer generation that's what they were watching that's where they were getting information about the internet and what it could do and what harm it could cause um and now you know we grew up being told don't share any personal information online you know don't don't give anyone any information that can lead to you and now we put our hometowns on there we put where we are we put our full names I mean, like, so one of my other jobs is I teach Pilates at a studio. Yeah. There, I'm putting out something about myself on the internet. Hello. Yeah. Well, one of my clients had her phone number stolen. Oof. And you think, oh, that's not too bad. Think about everything that you've connected your phone number to. Yeah. Your phone number has access to your cell phone account. It has access probably to your internet provider because they need to be able to call you. You have it as um, a backup authentication on your email. You have it on your sales sites. You have it on your credit cards. They stole her entire identity just by getting her phone number. Yeah. And so her unraveling this mess has been a nightmare to watch because Literally, she was on the phone trying to get someone to listen to her. And she said, I did not put this password change through. And in the middle of the call, it hung up because the password change went through. So she was literally living this kind of nightmare that we couldn't even have predicted back when some of these found footage films were made. But in regards to the technology... It keeps evolving, and they did emphasize that it comes in these spikes. So, like, you have the advent of more home film in, like, the late 80s, early 90s. So now you have some found footage that way. Internet starts going into people's houses. You have the last broadcast where there's, like, a proto-YouTube going on. Then you have YouTube, and then you have, of course, um, TikTok, um, I'm thinking like Gonjinam, or I'm saying it completely wrong, The Haunted Asylum, which is a found footage Twitch stream, which is very interesting in how they did that. So like every time a new technology or a new accessible media comes out, we see these spikes in found footage because now we have something new that people are getting their heads around. Yeah. And as long as you have a good story, those are usually successful. When they fall flat is when there's no good story and it's just trying to, I guess, capitalize on this trend, so to speak. Yeah. There was one we watched a while ago. Um, I think it was something to do with the Bell Witch. Oh, yes, the Bell Witch. And we were really intrigued about it because of the legend. And it was the film was so bad. I know exactly which one you're talking about. It was, I think I rated it a two on my letterbox because I was like, I liked the initial idea. Yeah. And then it just went downhill so fast. 
I hated every single member of the family and was so happy when, spoilers, they all got killed. That's usually how found footage films have to go because the very nature of found footage is you have found this footage. Yeah. And so, like, there are complaints sometimes about how these films end the same way. I'm like, they have to. How else are we finding this footage in many ways? And there are true crime cases that are exactly like this. So if you think it's not up to reality, I'm thinking about those two Dutch women that went missing in the um, Central American jungle. Right. They found a video, not a video camera, sorry, a photo camera and our cell phones, I think. And you just saw these flash images of what they were going through. And that is reality. And that's infiltrated as well. I mean, you look at the um, one of the biggest cases recently. And I'm so sorry, I can't remember the surname. Gabby? Petito. That's the one, yeah. Th- that was real, like, almost disturbing real-time found footage. Yep. With what she was doing, what she was posting. Um, even the people who went out after and were driving past that area. Um, yeah, so it is, and it's, it even, even has its literary roots as well in the, um, ep, ep, uh, I can never say it, epistory. That's the one. Yep. Reggie says it much better than me. Um, <laughs> so there's those roots there as well in the form of, you know, Dracula, where you've got the diary entries. And the way that that has evolved as well. So nowadays you'll likely more get sort of books of blogs. You had a trend of that a few years ago. Um, diaries, Bridget Jones' Diaries, Adrian Mole. Um, Sadie. Or is it Sadie? I can't remember. Sadie was... Stranded? No, it's just Sadie. Um, S-A-D-I. Yes. It is by Courtney Summers. Yes. And it is um, podcast plus like a written journal and the podcast is obviously written out but you can go and listen to the podcast as well um it is in first person present so if that kind of writing style doesn't work for you I mean you might want to borrow it from the library or skip out on it but it it is an interesting twist on the medium as well yeah and you've got more um yeah, I was going to say, then you've got the evolution into more digital forms of, you know, stories that are tweets. Oh, yeah. Um, what was it? The Zora story, I believe it was called, on Twitter ages ago when Twitter was first starting to come to prominence. And it was just this multi-thread tweet about a woman who somehow is getting involved with sex work. And it turns into this horror story. Yes. Do you remember that one? It turned it into a movie. I didn't remember it, but I heard about it relatively recently. Yeah, because the movie finally came yeah. out. But it was, like, as it was unfolding, that was a lot. Yeah. And then, of course, you have um, Dear David, which was by that BuzzFeed yep. writer. Which and we talked about last before. time, yeah. Yeah. But that one, as it was unfolding in real time, could also be considered found footage, except he is alive sharing this information online. So it still classifies as found footage. It's just that our consumption of it has changed. And as such, there's multiple ways that you can embrace this medium now. Yeah. And I think it's 
it's almost become um, a, a trickier to do on Twitter on mediums like that because you have to find the people who are going to buy into it um, rather than the people. And once it goes outside a certain sphere, you have this increase of people then who are like, oh, this is ridiculous. This is blah, blah. There was an like one recently where a guy was um, in a hotel and he was walking through and he kept kind of getting turned around and he was going oh, to spaces. Yes. And he had to apologize for that after because it wasn't real. And it's like, but then, but why do you have to, like, so many other people have done the same thing. Exactly. And also, like, don't discount these makers and creators of this content, because if you believe it, even for a hot minute, they did their job extremely well, because in this day and age, we are so critical. Well, we should be more critical, I should really say, of all the things that we consume, that we have a certain eye for fake yeah. content, even but we're disregarding deep fakes right now. We're going to just put those on a shelf. But in terms of like the day to day media, we do have a pretty decent eye for something that has been faked or is being elaborated on or something like that. So if they can get you, they did a good job. Yeah, absolutely. And even even if you don't necessarily believe it, if it can still creep you out in the same way that a horror film can, then it's it's good art. Dear David was really, really eerie. Mm -hmm. It really was. I remember, even though I was like, this is totally not real, but this is creepy. Yeah. And, like, you have to have a certain suspension of disbelief in order to engage and enjoy the content. But if you're one of those people who's so hypercritical about anything, it's not going to be for you probably ever. And that's okay. But you should not necessarily degrade people who are creating it because, quote unquote, it's a cheap medium. It is monetarily cheap. You can make a movie like Creep in 2014 with just two guys and a camera. Yeah. And have a great story as long as the story is great. You can make it cheaply, but cheap does not negate the story. And the believability of the actors. Not at all. All right, I'm going to get off my uh, found footage high horse. Elle, what have you been consuming media-wise these days? So before we were recording, I did tell Reggie I have been finally finished reading Men, Women and Chainsaws. Um, There will be a review going up on Divination Hollow, possibly after this episode airs. Keep an eye out on that. Um, It's taken me since January to read it. It's not the easiest book. It's not one that you can, like, read when you... Obviously, you don't read it for escapism. Um, For those who aren't aware, if you're not as into horror, it's uh, basically an academic book of essays about gender in the horror film. It was originally published, I think, 92. So a lot of the films it references are older films going back to the 70s and 80s um it is good to look at it in a way of i think there's points where she kind of takes the stance of oh these are just flash in the pan subgenres um you know horror is going to evolve past these 
but horror, like many other genres, has that kind of cyclical element to it. She talks about slashes and possession films and rape revenge films. And even in the last 10 years, you've kind of gradually seen the emergence of them coming out with stuff like The Conjuring. Um, Is it Promising Young Women? Yes. Relatively recently. Um, And slasher films. I mean, we've, we've just had Halloween Kills. We've just had Screen 5. They are as strong as ever. Um, and yeah, and this is the book where the final goal term itself originated, but there's more to it. She talks a lot about the victim hero eyesight's relevant in it, um, in horror generally, but it's worth saying as well. There's a lot of reliance on Freud, mm. which is another kind of part that had me sort of, you know, every time I saw another reference to Freud, it was like, okay, yeah, here we go again. But I think if you want an academic look at horror, it is worth reading. It's worth kind of extracting that to apply to modern, in a more modern lens as well, especially with the way the gender and idea of gender has changed in the last, what was it, 30 years since this book originally came out. Yeah, and I mean, it has changed considerably, but that was considered one of the seminal texts because up until then it had been... To a certain extent, I am by no means a horror film academic, mm-hmm. but my understanding is it would have been primarily written off yes. as something legitimate to be looked at with a critical eye versus just a popcorn film. And there were academics. I mean, of course, there's always academics studying things, but this was the first one that made like a big splash. So yes. even though it's outdated eventually everything gets outdated yeah and you know I, I haven't seen a lot of the films that were referenced but the ones I have seen I think are used really well even if like something like Deliverance mm. um, which she uses to illustrate this like sort of quote civilization unquote versus nature and the rural and the influx of city people onto nature and how that is used in other forms of horror as well. Um, you know, the films that get referenced a lot of the Halloween obviously is used a lot as the final build basis. Yeah, yeah. Heard that before. Um, yeah, I feel like I wonder how she would have I forget the author's name. Uh that, Carol J. Clover. I wonder how she would reapproach this with a more modern lens i mean she i do not know how old she was when she wrote this it's very likely that she has been retired since but i'm just curious to hear how she would approach certain changes that we've been seeing especially now that we have multiple new subgenres and that big change after 9-11 yeah and she also contributed i think to the dread of difference which is another gender in the horror film book um i haven't yet read it but that was published in 20 no 1996 was the first publication of that um so that might be that little bit and there's that's like a lot of different contributors as well so i think that would be interesting to approach that as far as i could tell she's still teaching so okay yeah, 
Um, but yeah, I'd say if you have that kind of interest, academic interest in, in horror movies in particular, it's worth looking at, um, especially in tying it into found footage. It talks about a film, Peeping Tom, quite a lot. That was not the first, it was one of the sort of original found footage films. And she uses that again to talk about the use of eyes and who's looking at who and how that is used in horror, the male gaze in horror, mm-hmm. um, the idea of who you're sympathising with through who uh, whose eyes you're looking through. Um, so the fact that, you know, Halloween, it starts with his perspective. Yeah. And quite a few times you do slip back into, and it's been used in almost every slasher film since, where you kind of slip back into the, the killer's perspective. Yeah, and one thing I did learn about that documentary is prior to Blair Witch, it was not called found footage, it was called mm-hmm. POV. Yeah. They called it a POV cinema or a POV perspective. And after Blair Witch was when it really took on that found footage mantle because that was when we started seeing more. I don't want to say that trend because it already had existed by that point of the Mm -hmm. filmer having disappeared. But just because of the phenomenon that Blair Witch brought. That's, I mean, I believe that still is to this day one of the highest budgeting movies of all time. I believe that they filmed it for like 10,000, something very small, and they yeah, just was... made bank off of it. Yeah, a lot, yeah. And I remember, like, I, it took me years to see it. Um, I didn't see it until I was at university, but I remember the hype around it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, my brothers and their friends talking about how scary it was. Because um, I was a scaredy cat as a kid. Until I was about 11 or 12, I, I did not like horror films at all. But I loved, like, sort of animated, like, the sort of younger aimed at horror I liked. But a lot of, like, I wouldn't read Stephen King until I was about 14, 15 and things like that. But um, I think the actual first horror film I properly watched was The Others. And that was the film that made me go, oh, I like this. That's a really good movie. It's so good. It's a really good movie. But yeah and i so there's a lot of gaps in my knowledge especially with the older films um but i'm gradually revisiting them and i think i will be looking at this book to kind of look at well which one stood out to me as ones that i should watch mm-hmm. and will probably get something out of basically yeah i mean that's completely fair because like you don't want to like full disclosure when i saw halloween kills i was bored out of my mind yeah it was just not an engaging movie, and I really wish I would have taken heed to some of the writings I had read about, um, like review-wise, about the film. And I think from a more academic perspective, that helps narrow things a little bit more easily for me, mm-hmm. just because I took a lot of Western and samurai films in undergrad. So, like, I have a pretty solid knowledge of which ones I want to see, which ones I don't want to see, because I had multiple classes with a top-rate scholar on that so I think if I had something with that with horror it would have been easier for me to like you know parse through and not just you know consume blindly yeah luckily I did um I studied American studies and creative writing at university and I know a lot of our listeners are based in the U.S. and are probably going wait what American studies um yeah basically it was 
a sort of I, I say it was a pick and choose course you could either look at history or literature or film or you know different elements of, of culture and mm-hmm. I did do Hollywood horror in third year I think it was or second I'm pretty sure it was third year um and my lecturer was brilliant she was really engaging she got us watching all these like brilliant horror films I've still got my pile of notes somewhere here um and you know using like even if we weren't watching that particular film you know referencing things like Alien and Halloween those sort of foundational but looking at very much different types of Hollywood horror through the decades um and I just love going back and like now and then revisiting it with books like Met Road and Chainsaws and stuff and kind of yeah I need to take out my notes on that because that was a great module yeah maybe you should she she threw us a little Halloween pie that she did every year for her Hollywood horror group um because her she was American and her mum would send her over like care packages of sweets to the UK um she was also a Disney scholar I unfortunately didn't get to take any of the Disney modules um because that would have just been the dream. I did get to do Hollywood musicals though in a separate thing, so that was good. But yeah, so that was the first time I ever tried candy corn. <laughs> oh, candy corn. I don't mind it, but I know not many people do. I liked it. Okay, we would get <laughs> but along we don't, then. We don't get stuff like, we don't have something like that over here. So it was it was fun. So that oh, was that good. Have you read anything else? You're You're reading far more interesting things than me these days because I'm all in business books. <laughs> yeah, so going over a bit more to the fantasy side, one of the books I finished recently was called Half a Soul uh, by Livia Atwater. Um, and it's, I think it's been re-released or it's been released in the UK this year. It was released. Um, and this is a Regency fairy tale it's called Regency Fairy Tales number one, so I'm I'm praying for number two. I cannot wait to read that. And it's basically a young woman is cursed by a fairy and loses half her soul. Um, but it means that she kind of has no fear or embarrassment. She's very blunt. Um, when her cousin is her, her aunt who took her in um, is trying to marry off her cousin. And she's basically ruined in every attempt because her cousin loves her and will do anything for her. And one of her conditions of marriage is you have to let my cousin live with us. But I think the book opens with a conversation between these gentlemen and her cousin. And she just turns around and says um, something about if do, do you think if dolphins and horses were one, which like which part would be the dolphin and which would be the horse? But it's got... <laughs> a brilliant it's a it's a romance it's a fantasy romance importantly because it's a genre i'm really getting into at the moment it's a fantasy regency romance the regency aspect in it is really good um but it's still got that magical element to it it's a bit alternative history if you've read um mr strange and jonathan norrell yes yeah that is the name it's that kind of vibe to it where you have this very historical backdrop, but you have this kind of overlay of magic to it. Um, so like the, the the crown has a magic, a, and it's called the Lord Sorcerer. 
but he was involved in the in the war um so he's scarred from that and there's a lot of good points in it about the gentry and money and what it gets spent on and what it doesn't she visits a working house a workhouse Mm -hmm. uh she visits an orphanage um because they discover that these children are dying so they have to go and find out what's going on but if you like your fae to be cruel and cold and obsessed with being sort of gentry is brilliant and that's another aspect i love the fae really really want to be english gentry and the way they mimic it really underscores that kind of ignorance that they had um at one point one comments that oh well if you have more wealth you must be more virtuous that's how it works in england oh god yeah so the one the main fae walks around with five waistcoats because that shows that he has money um and at one point I, they get confused over what the word virtuous means because they know it in the context of oh well he's a lord and he has this massive piece of land so he's virtuous whereas because she doesn't have because theodora doesn't have that kind of societal instinct to her she can see through that a bit better and she gets really angry about it and it's really interesting because that's what she really gets to her is this idea of people who are sitting there going oh we do so much for the poor don't we We put them in the workhouses where they're cruelly treated and but you have this and he gets into arguments with uh very pleasant dinners where he's basically saying like you're all sitting here with your money when you could do so much and it points out the difference between kind and nice. That's good, because that's a very distinct difference that people don't always consider. Absolutely. And, you know, it's just because someone's polite, it doesn't make them a nice person. And I'm saying that as someone who can't stand people who are rude. But you know what? If you're a dick, then you deserve someone to be rude to you. Yeah, there's an entire episode about that and our flag means death. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah, you... Not in the UK yet. Maybe by the time it airs, it'll be out in the UK. We're only getting Abbott Elementary like in two weeks or, or just over a week. Yeah, it's very strange that it hasn't come out because it's a lot of British actors in it. Like, why yeah. have you guys not gotten this? Also, yeah. they just seem like the most wholesome cast. They constantly go out to parties and I'm just like, oh, I love you guys. You all just look cute. As soon as I saw the trailer, and this was when I didn't know about, like, the LGBT content in it. Or I don't even know about it now. I just know that it's there. When I saw the trailer, I just got really excited because of the cast. I think almost every new person that popped up, when I was just, even when I was showing Rich, me and Rich were going, <gasps> and then we were going, it's Murray, it's Murray. <laughs> and then uh, we had, there's a, There are a couple of Americans, but not too many. <laughs> But it's, it's, I can't look at him and not hear Brit. The uh, guy who plays the Swede in Our Flag Means Death, he's American. He's also an Oscar-winning screenwriter. So it's Amazing. Like, it's like, here you go. Here's an Oscar winner. We're going to throw him in some garb and make him put on a really bad Swedish accent. 
and just be a mess of a human who always is just in trouble for his own doing. Yeah. Yeah, Um, eventually it'll get there. Yeah, but talking of, you know, British, British comedies, I don't think you guys have had it yet. Um, They've just had the the finale of the third season of Derry Girls. Oh, we haven't had it yet. I think it's coming out soon, though. Have you seen the first two seasons? Yes. Oh, the third season is brilliant. Um, it's it's good what the kind of things they explore. And the last episode, you might have seen it. it it's in the description, so it's not a spoiler. The last episode is about the Good Friday Agreement. Okay. Um, and I know it's not technically like sci-fi fantasy or horror, but if you haven't watched it yet, you, you definitely should watch Dairy Girls. We've gone back and watched it from the start because Rich didn't watch it properly with me the first time. And it still cracks me up. It is, um, first two seasons are on US Netflix, for those of you who are wondering where to watch it. And if you're in the UK and for some reason haven't seen it yet, it's all on 4D, so check it out on there. I think the first series is on Netflix as well. So um, good. Yeah, I'm really excited to see what they'll do next. And for, you know, for, for the next season of Bridgerton as well, because I love her. Love the wee little lesbian. You're on more of this Regency type thing going on and I'm over here with like I want to watch documentaries about film that's fine yeah I'm on a Regency kick and it's partly to do with the kind of writing projects I've got planned but it's also I'm just loving it I've just been reading um False Colours by Georgette Heyer who is one of the basically originators of Regency romance back in the 20s or 30s mm-hmm. and it's the second book of hers I've read and what really stands out to me is the women in it are so brilliant and the books are so funny it really holds up well um in false colors his mum is an extravagant she's 20 grand in debt um and she just (laughs) but the boys the twin brothers want nothing more than to protect her because they know that their father messed up and was cruel and Mm -hmm. but they both adore their mum and it's really sweet because they're they're trying to find this way out of the situation that she's got into and she's coming down the street with a brand new um it's not a carriage I can't remember the terms they use all the time but she's being carried down the street by four men and one of them is a poet who just stares wistfully at her and she comments at one point that she's um I think like 42 and I just love this like older woman character who just charms everyone around her and just gets away with everything because she's lovely she could get away with murder if she wanted yeah she could and her sons would cover it up and that's really sweet uh good sons but um that kind of feeds though into one thing that i've been listening to is a podcast called crimes of the centuries now, it does have a predominantly American bend to it because she is an American journalist based mm-hmm. in Michigan. But she does these incredibly in-depth research topics on, they're like about half an hour long, half hour to 45 minutes, yeah. on these articles and stories that at the time were proposed to be the crime of the century. <laughs> so they were like the biggest crime have now forgotten about and she goes into like the societal impacts around it um how it got to where it got 
Like, how did it get so big? How did this crime even happen? And it's fascinating. The first season is a lot of crimes that we have heard of before, but I think we're in the third season now with it. And the stuff that she has found, I have never heard of before. And I find that fascinating on many levels. Oh, she just finished season two. Sorry. So, like, um, she the latest episode, um, season two, episode 18, Patty Cannon's murderous gang selling people for profit. It is all about slavery in America in the 1800s and how this woman, she um, was helping them to, she was say, claiming that she was helping slaves escape to freedom. But in reality, she was just like, murdering them, turning them back to the owners, things like that. Like it was this whole thing. And because she was a charming woman, like you had said, Elle, she got away with it. And it was just like, she kept going and going and it became this huge scandal in the States. And, um, oh my God, I I forgot her name, the podcaster's name, Amber something, Amber Fry, I think that might be it. Um, but yeah, it's just a fascinating glimpse into a certain times time, like a glimpse in time. Yeah. And she's a great storyteller. So I highly recommend giving it a, like a listen just because it's, some of these things are wild. (laughs) Yeah. And I think like that's all, like people forget that. I mean, there are some nasty, nasty crimes involving women. Oh, almost all of these involve women. Yeah, um, that's really just, interesting as well, because I think when it's uh, the other aspect to it is it's more shocking for the general public when it's a woman. And I think that's a problem in itself. Yes. And I also want to say that not all of these are like murders or things like that. There is a case that she covers earlier in season two about um, a woman who was deemed an unfit mother and had her children taken away from her. And somehow, through a full series of events, it turns into the eugenics movement. Right. It is a total trip. So she does not shy away from things, which I appreciate. Um, But sometimes you do have to really closely look at the summaries and make sure you're reading it carefully so you know what you're getting into. Because they will involve you know, trigger warnings, there will be child deaths, there will be, you know, sexual assaults, there will be horrific torture sometimes, sometimes these things will still be unsolved. So, but the fact that it is these glimpses in time that we have since forgotten about, it really does reflect as a society how we have changed, but also stayed the same. Yeah, and I think, actually, there's something I read not long ago that, um, you're reminding me of that with the especially the eugenics movement um if you enjoy like like your historical fiction um take my hand by delene perkins valdez um is about post-segregation alabama it's about a nurse who blows a whistle on hysterectomies that are performed on two young black girls ah yes and it's obviously through her you know, trying to get justice for these girls, not there'll ever be any form of justice for what was done to them, because it is based on the real life case. Um, She finds more women who have had this done to them. And something that it highlights, again, 
is the way that this clinic is run by a white woman who by all appearances looks like she's doing something great for the community she's providing for the community um she has a very she's very respectable but she's authorizing these um she's authorizing putting children who have not started their periods yet on on birth control um and that's one thing that stands out to the main character when she goes to visit these two young girls is that she's she's meant to be giving this girl birth control but she hasn't started her period and then she starts questioning she comes from a quite a privileged background herself as privileged as someone who was black at that time could be mm-hmm. um so it's an eye opener for her as she's going through it as well because she doesn't she goes into the situation going yes we're doing something great um and she's being told you know these these girls are poor so they're going to start sleeping out with boys um and she's the one who talks sits down to actually talks to them about that um they've only got their father and their grandmother so she kind of befriends the family um but the other thing it makes a point of is overstepping and she is told multiple times like you know you're doing good things with these girls but you're not family um you're not their mother and you have to like remember that and i think that's a good point with like some of the activism that you see especially online where people will rather than saying to someone what do you need what do you want even if what you ultimately do improves something for them the fact that you're not engaging with them and saying what can I do for you is an issue um, yes. and I think any kind of ally that's a starting point for you if you consider yourself an ally to anyone um, and you want to open your eyes about stuff like this I think referring to books like Take My Hand um, listening to podcasts like Crimes of the Century especially um, there's a podcast in the UK called What the Trans mm-hmm. um, which is basically new stories about trans people by trans um. people there's a Canadian one called Color Code, and I Ooh. super recommend it. Um, it is predominantly about race relations in Canada as told by BIPOC Canadians. I highly recommend that. It is a fascinating listen. It is done. It's not an ongoing thing. It was a set of like six or seven episodes, and that was it. Sometimes that's all you need. Yeah. Um, very impactful. Highly recommend it. Yeah, and there's um, what the trans that's because I've been listening. I, I always listen to podcasts in the beginning. I find it really difficult to just jump in. Um, so I've been listening to like the older episodes, and it's really disturbing now uh, where it was simmering because they're talking about Graham Lynham and they're acknowledging that there's an issue there, but it's not yet at the point where it's full mask off. Um, the same with J.K. Rowling. It's kind of hinted at and they don't touch on it much, but you know that that's going to end up coming up. Um, uh, another one that's good to listen to, perhaps, is Bad Gays. Um, yeah. I believe um, one is an American researcher residing in the UK and one is a UK mm. guy. Um, they are doing a UK tour soon. So those of you in the UK who want to learn more about the history of certain members of the LGBT community through the ages who were bad at it and did terrible things to members of society, to others. I mean, obvious ones, Jeffrey Dahmer. 
yes, they do talk about Jeffrey Dahmer. But then they go into, like, I never thought about it until I listened to the episode, but Freddie Mercury is also on here. Um, yeah. And Bonnie is on here. Like, they have four seasons, and the things that they dive into that these LGBTQ members did to the detriment of their own community yeah. is fascinating. So, like, you have to also have the other side of things. Like, yes, what do you need as an ally? But then you also have to kind of look internal and see who's also not helping us. Even yeah. though we have accepted them, maybe they're sabotaging us from the inside. And you see it now. You see it with, you know, um, a lot of people who support, you know, the LGBT conservatives. Mm-hmm. Um, similar in the States, we've got LGBT Republicans. And it's just people who are, have so much internalized stuff going on that, or, you know, whatever it is, because... I'm not here to to psychoanalyze people, um, but y- you just wish that these people could look at the harm they're doing. And the same to people who are not in those communities. Like sometimes I wish people could actually realize what harm they're doing, not just to people in those communities, but everyone. And I'm not going to talk about it too long because it could be an episode in itself. But something sure. I've been thinking about recently is perceived discrimination. Um, oh, so that's a very important topic, though. In the UK, um, I if you work like I've I work quite a few office jobs now and every job when you start and then you get refresher training you do these online modules and there's always like an equality um discrimination module to look at these things um my my new job had an unconscious bias module which was brilliant in the equality one obviously a lot of it is about the equality act and what's classed as discrimination and I think too many people overlooked the perceived discrimination not the people in those communities um if you can't guess from the title perceived discrimination basically means being discriminated against for the perception that you do belong you do have this race or this religion or this sexuality this gender Mm -hmm. um we're seeing that a lot at the moment and i don't think people realize how much of a leg they have to stand on if that's something that affects you so if you're a cis woman who is pushed out of a bathroom because you're perceived as trans like that's still discrimination owen jones didn't ask recently i haven't been able to sit down and read it yet but i i saw a lot of i skimmed through it quite a bit um about straight men who were perceived as gay because of their hobbies their interests and things like that and i think the the thing with that as well is those people do tend to kind of shift into allyship mm-hmm. hopefully um but yeah, yeah it, it's i i think too many people overlook that when you're looking at these situations with your sis you don't realize how much that can affect you as a cis person but um basically we have had that in the states too um, this is very old Saturday Night Live, and by very old, I mean the 90s. Mm-hmm. But Dana Carvey had a character called the ambiguously gay heterosexual. <laughs> yeah. And literally the entire butt of that joke was him being a straight man who everyone thought was gay. Yeah. That was the entire story. And there were multiples of this. So it's not something that's new no, is where I'm going with cool. this. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so the other book 
that I read recently to touch on really quick because I really enjoyed it um and it's coming out in July I think it was originally published maybe May or it's coming out either May 31st or July 5th there's kind of two publication dates on the Goodreads page so soon um Together We Burn um it's really fantastic Spanish fantasy uh Spanish inspired fantasy about rather than um matadors and bulls you have dragonadors and dragons nice and the main character in it her mum is killed in an accident so she has to and then after tragedy strikes her dad is laid up for a while so she has to take over the running of it but it's one of those fantasy books where it has that element of you know women are flamenco dancers and men are the dragonadors and like it. Works who work with dragons so really worth checking out it's really especially if you mainly read um it's kind of young adult new adult but especially if you read more kind of it's not at this point it's not even western inspired fantasy it's just british inspired fantasy um that kind of medieval british castles lords kings thing this is a very um more spanish take on it um it is, I think it is medieval period, but it's got the guilds, um, all these rules surrounding what the arenas can do and can't do and where they can get dragons from. Um, yeah, it's really good. And I, I loved it. I just thought it was brilliant. And again, it's got a romance at its centre as well. And that's handled really well. OK, I'm going to have to check that one out. Hopefully I'll be out of these business books. <laughs> we'll see we'll see i did apply to an mba program which means my life from if i get in from september will be nothing but business yeah so we uh, we got a couple of uh divination hollow contributors who are doing stuff like that at the moment which is amazing what reading business books <laughs> well the the going back into education thing yeah that is very fun we'll see hopefully i get a as uh, we already knows, and probably all of our American listeners knows, it's very expensive to get an MBA. So I'm really hoping my job covers it. Yeah, all the fingers crossed. Yeah. All yeah. right. So I guess we're going to be wrapping up there for this edition of our host only. What we've been reading, consuming, watching, what have you, edition. Um. So. As always, if you guys don't mind dropping a review and giving us five stars, it does not matter what you say on mm-hmm. the review. You could tell us what you're reading, watching. You could say that you hate the movie Megan is Missing. I will not be offended. You could say that you also love Regency titles, and you can drop L some recommendations in Please the review. Do. We will see them. So, and whatever it's fantasy. Yes. Um, so, Elle, where can they find us on the social medias? So, if you want to check us out on Twitter, we're on at SBATBookish. Um, and we're across all podcast platforms. All right. And if you want to check out my individual Twitter, where I sometimes scream into the void about writing, it is at Reggie C. Writes. Uh, mine is at L Turpit. And if you have any suggestions for future episodes, please let us know. Until next time, you guys. Bye. Bye.